Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into the Janelle B. Stewart podcast. I am your host, Janelle B. Stewart, an award-winning beauty editor. The Janelle B. Stewart podcast is a weekly lifestyle podcast designed to educate, empower, and engage. Episodes touch on various topics of our lives, including health and fitness, love and marriage, entrepreneurship, parenting, self-love, and much more. My goal is to have you feeling uplifted and inspired after you listen to each episode. Welcome to episode 27. If you missed episode 26, then you did not hear all of the amazing things that I shared about my birthday vacation in Aruba. You definitely want to go and check that out. I talked a little bit about how I joined a vacation club, about all of the fun and great things I did on the trip, including how I got my snatch back to get my body in order in preparation for my birthday vacation. Now, on today's Today's episode, I have a really special guest for you all. I know a lot of the women who I talk to, and especially my friends and family, our financial health is something that we all are looking to get into a really good place. And I'll have some really good information for everyone today with my special guest. Her name is Whitney Lubin. Welcome, welcome, welcome. (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) You're so very welcome. I'm happy to have you here. Now, before we get into all the great things you have going on. I want to take this time to introduce you to my audience. I want us to go back though. Do you remember Black Street? Yes, but not as clearly as some people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know some of the people who may be listening, definitely the demographic of women who I do speak to, they are familiar with Black Street. In one of my favorite songs and probably one of your favorite songs, they have a little segment where a little intro where they say, let's take it back back into time. Yes. So I want to take it back. I want to go back into time. And I want you to let us know who you are, where you grew up, where your family's from. Tell us about your childhood memories. We just, I want to hear it all. Let let us all know you like we were best friends from way back when. (laughs) All righty. Well, I grew up in South Florida in a little suburb, Pembroke Pines, in between Fort Lauderdale and Miami. My parents were Haitian immigrants, so I'm first generation. Haitian American living in Florida. And I think really my story starts with my parents because they've been like very instrumental in inspiring me to pursue a lot of the things that I do, especially when it comes to business. When they first came here, again, they came without any relatives, without any support. My mom, her cousin is the one who helped her register for school. She was 16 when she got to the United States and my dad was about 18. And again, for them, everything that they did from the time they landed on American soil has been based on their effort and them searching for a way to provide for their family. And their family has included not only their children, but, you know, the family that we have in Haiti. A lot of people in the Haitian diaspora are familiar with the fact that, you know, the people that tend to make it out or get to America or Canada or any other country like that, people within the family usually depend on them to be a provider. And so I always saw my dad taking on these investments. You know, he was doing so many things, things that even though when I was looking into the media, I wasn't told that's what black men and black fathers were doing, my dad was doing it. And so I always felt like, you know, I lived a different life as a person who 
saw herself as a black woman, but a person who was having these experiences that wasn't the same as what was portrayed in media. And so my dad, he had a dry cleaner and I worked in the dry cleaner. I remember working in the dry cleaner, eight years old, just excited to talk to the customers. You know, I really enjoyed that they they loved my presence there. Them talking to a kid, eight years old, you could see that it delighted them in a way to have a child's presence there and see that child, you know, enjoy the whole transactional relationship between business and customers. Fast forward a couple of years, I'm in school, I'm going to college. When I graduated, I I really had an epiphany that I really just wanted to be in business, even though my degree wasn't necessarily in that field. And so now I've been working in the entrepreneur space, specifically in tech space, trying to find solutions that specifically speak to what's happening in communities of color and specifically for women. And one of the issues I delved deeply into with my co-founder was an issue regarding the wealth disparity within our community, especially how it affects women. And so that's what we've been focusing on for the past few years. And I've just combined that with my passion for business solutions. And that's where we are today. Okay. So I know you're saying that your father, he had a dry cleaner. So your parents were business owners and you have had them as a role model for you in regards to being an entrepreneur. I think that's pretty awesome. Do you feel as though there were any other role models that prepared you to be who you are today? I think in life, you run across a lot of people who inspire you in a variety of ways. I mean, Oprah, she's always been a go-to person that I look to in terms of media because I think media plays a huge factor in how we view ourselves and what we're capable of. And so again, other people have played roles in my aspirations in my career, but I think the foremost people have been my parents, my mom and dad, because they came to this country not knowing a lick of English and they had to learn and they worked. And not only did they have their own business, but they invested in property. Like They had things in their possession that many people who have lived here for generations didn't even see as a possibility. And so for me, I wanted to know what it was that actually motivated them to think that they had the capacity to accomplish these things. Because in the tech field, it's dominated by, you know, men, white men, and it's a very easy space for anybody, regardless of your education, to feel intimidated because you don't see people like you there. And so I use their experience, the fact that they were in a situation where they're foreign to the experiences everybody else has, but they still were able to find success. Oh, yeah. And exactly what you said about women in tech and tech being dominated by white men. It's absolutely true. One of my best friends, she's the head of diversity and inclusion for IAC apps. And she spends all of her time trying to make sure that there is women of color, people of color, and other minority groups well represented and taken care of and within the organization because she worked as a recruiter for many, many years. And she saw there was an area of need there and, and, and Black people were underrepresented. I know that you said you went to college. And just in case anyone from your alma mater is listening, where'd you go? What'd you study? Florida State University in Tallahassee, so home of the Knowles. I got my degree in international affairs and economics 
economics. And so my focus has always been to look at how economies all around the world operate, the differences in the policies that they have and how it affects the strategies they implement. And so when I thought about how that applied to, let's say, our community, we have like a micro state if we think about what's happening in the Black community when it comes to these different industries. And so I wanted to create solutions, business solutions that directly correlated with what was happening in our communities. I just wanted to apply those same principles that I learned about what happens in other countries and how policies affect the economy and use that in a concrete way within our community. Oh, that sounds pretty awesome. Um, How did your family feel about that? My family's from West Africa and they tend to have a very like strict view of what's like a real job. (laughs) So I can hope that having Haitian parents, it might be very similar. How did they feel about your uh, course load and did they have a difference of opinion on what you should be studying? Oh, definitely. First of all, when I first went to school, I went as a bio major with the intention of going to med school. It was like two years in and I told my dad I was going to switch my major and he was like, you can't do that. I already told all my friends you're going to be a doctor. And I'm here like, well, that's your problem to deal with. With patients, the professions they recognize are if you're a doctor, engineer, or an attorney. And so those are kind of like your three choices as a Haitian. So I definitely did have to battle my parents in the sense that I had to fight them to realize that what I was doing was important. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty typical of our Caribbean and like African parents. I totally can relate with you as well. So let's talk a little bit about your journey. So I know from doing some research on you that you're an entrepreneur, you're a writer, you're a speaker, and then you have this other thing that's called blurred. (laughs) So if you could take us through you being an entrepreneur, you being a writer, you being a speaker, and whatever Blurred is, I'd love to hear more about it. And I think it's really encouraging about all the different hats you wear for the women who are listening today that feel like they need to be in one particular career field, like how our parents also felt. Share a little bit more about all of these hats and these roles that you embody as Whitney Lubin. (laughs) So Blurred is basically kind of like a cultural term for Black nerds. And we just use it as a reference point to say people with the same common interests, whether it's like comic books and anime, just things that I guess fall under like this like stereotypical nerdy profile. And I remember growing up in high school, I had a class and one of my friends, she was all dressed up in like this gothic wear, like, and she was black and she had manga books, um, the anime books. And me and her, we would just trade books and read them. And it was strange to everybody else, our interest in, you know, manga and anime to everybody else. It was just so weird, especially as like, you know, black women. And unlike my friend who was all gothic and really deep into that like subculture, I was still just regular. I just watched BET. I still liked the same things that everybody else liked, but I also liked anime and manga and all of that stuff. So when it comes to Blurred, it tends to fall into people of color who like, I guess, the nerdy subculture things. And so that's where that term comes in because it is a small community of nerds. Are you saying now that the word nerd no longer has a negative connotation? It doesn't. It actually doesn't. When you say blurred within the community, it doesn't have negative connotation. I think a lot of people feel that they're being introduced to parts of 
culture that the rest of the community just hasn't embraced yet. So they feel like trendsetters, you know? Even now, when we look at like the comic books and, you know, Marvel, like there's a sense of pride that comes from Blurreds for knowing the different story arcs and like just knowing the deeper details of what actually inspired the movie creation, what actually happens in the comics and the relationship these characters have. Like it's a community in and of itself on its own. And we have a sense of pride, I would say, for knowing the stuff, the geeky, nerdy stuff that other people don't really want to spend the time figuring out or knowing about. So it's cool. Yes, now it's cool. Thanks for explaining that because when I saw Blurred, I was like, I have to ask her what that means. So tell us more about you being an entrepreneur, writer, speaker, YouTuber, all that good stuff. My role in my company is Chief Storytelling Officer. And the reason I felt like it's very important for me to overarchingly make sure that was my role or my title was because even when I think about technology, when I think about the business solutions that you create, I think about it all as a story. There is a customer need and you create the story about how you're going to provide the solution. So overarchingly over my career, I've always felt like there was a story that was being told and there were characters. And my whole point of being a storyteller is focusing on what that story is, what the journey that individual is making and what they learn in the end, what's the outcome. And so whether it's, you know, writing fictional, you know, science fiction novel, being interested in blurred culture, it's all a storyline that we're all exchanging. I just like to apply that to the tech space in terms of like how we built out the platform and what type of customers we're actually reaching out to. Okay. And so your business is Femme Noir. Is there any other facets of your business that you have aside from that? No, the primary business is Femme Noir. And, you know, with Femme Noir, we're building a mobile platform that offers cashback rebates for women on beauty products in order to help them have the funds to begin reaching saving and investing goals. A lot of the terminology that's around investing, a lot of the habits that we should be getting into in order to have financially healthy lifestyles, like getting us habitually used to it in a less intimidating format. And that's why we combine, you know, beauty with conversations about investing and savings. Because for a lot of women, it's just intimidating to just think about reaching those financial goals. But it's not so intimidating when we think about beauty. You know, we spend 80% more on cosmetics and two times more on skincare products than the general market. But our medium wealth for single women of color ages 36 to 49 is just $5. And then for women of color in general, it's just $100 in comparison to white women, which is like around over 40K. So that was a story that we were noticing that there's this disparity in um, access to wealth within communities for women of color, but we were spending so much in one particular area. And instead of shaming women, because shaming people never works, we wanted to just have a conversation in an area that they felt safe. And I think beauty is an area where we feel safe. It's almost a form of self-care. And in that area where we're having this self-care, where people are talking to people they trust and people that they aspire to be like or who they aspire to have conversations about things that are important to their life. We wanted to include that conversation piece about your financial health. 
Okay, so let's take it back a little bit, just because I realized I didn't even take the time to explain Femme Noir and what it is. So I understand that from meeting you, for those of you listening, I had the opportunity of meeting Whitney when I was at an event in Florida, and she came up to me, we were talking, she shared this amazing app with me, and I was just like, wow this is awesome. We should talk. We should get the word out about this. I thought it was really dope. And her app is exactly what she's talking about, Femme Noir. Now, I want to go back to medium wealth. And I want to just break that down a little bit more for people who don't understand finance and all of those technical terms and what that actually means. So I know you throw out some numbers there about $5 for single women between, I think it was 35 and 40 something. And then it was $100 for women and then it was like $40,000 for white women. Can you just break that down a little bit more? Explain what medium wealth is and what do these numbers mean? And why is there such a huge disparity if you feel like you can talk about that? The research was done by Mariko Chang, Rising As We Climb. I think I included that in an email, but I'll share that the PDF of the research with you. But when we talk about median wealth, here's the thing. I think a lot of people, when we look at these numbers, sometimes when it comes to statistics, we don't understand them clearly, but median is different from average. So the average score, when they give statistics, can skew your perception of what's going on in statistics when you get the results. But with a median, median says what is actually happening most frequently in the middle. So that means a greater proportion of women fall within the middle and a greater proportion of women who are in the middle have a median wealth of $5 for ages 36 to 49 if they're single black women. And that's because they have more debt than assets. And so that debt can be in the form of their vehicles, their mortgage, anything that isn't fully paid that they don't fully own, that is considered debt. And there's other contributing factors to probably this whole wealth issue. You know, there's a number of articles that talk about what's happening in terms of how we invest. Sometimes we can be more conservative than general market. A lot of us may not have access to the same workplace benefit packages that other groups because we are in more unconventional positions or whatnot. So there's a number of factors that play a role in that. The income gap itself also plays a role for women of color. The fact that we earn 67 cents to the dollar compared to, you know, 70 odd some cents that a white woman might earn. So there's a number of things that have impacted it, but the primary thing is that it's happening. There's no denying that it's happening. Wow, this just put that phrase where people say, I only got $5 to my name to a whole new (laughs) It's true. It's impacted by the fact that a lot of us don't do our estate planning. And it's like a multitude of factors investing into making sure we have adequate health coverage. I went to the Women of Power Summit this past week. And again, these same statistics were what they brought up to these huge array of women who, again, they're women either in the C-suite or on their way to the C-suite at whatever company that they're working with. And they still have to encounter those same issues in terms of finances that women who are making far less than them. And so again, this problem is far reaching and it's a lot deeper than a lot of people are aware of. Wow. So what is the solution to what you've discovered as a problem in our community? What do you suggest we do? When me and my business partner thought of this platform and we started working on it, 
We realized it was going to require multiple solutions because, again, estate planning to, you know, the benefits that we have in the workplace to how early we start investing, all of these played a factor. And so our issue was, but how do we get women comfortable with these terminologies with these concepts? How do we get them comfortable with actually starting to build a relationship with a local advisor, financial advisor at either, you know, uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, or any other financial institution in their area? And we thought that the best way to do that was to kind of like introduce them to these terminologies in an environment on the, through our community on the mobile app that wasn't intimidating where they had people that they trusted where they had people that were talking about their own experiences so that they can come to their own conclusions and take that information and go to someone locally for additional assistance but the primary issue is that we really don't trust anybody else with our money <laughs> but we don't even know how to handle our money in the first place especially as policies and economies shift yeah i mean when you only got five dollars you got to hold on to it tightly <laughs> yeah and and that may have to do with the wealth gap but it also may have to do with where we invest our money initially it's a number of things and the fact that it's five dollars again it doesn't necessarily mean that the person couldn't have had more than five dollars but Maybe due to lack of investing when they initially started their work benefits packaging, there are certain plans that it may feel like a hard thing to do to just let a company take more money out of your paycheck. But if you're entering your 40s and all of a sudden you realize that you're going to have like this major health crisis that wipes out your whole savings. That, and that is what women of color are experiencing. They're not at this deficit because of not working hard or not having education. We're probably one of the most educated population of women in America. Investing in your health is a financial investment because that means you can focus solely on your health and still maintain your way of life. And they play a heavy role in our finances, a heavy role, a heavy, heavy role. Yeah, wow. So- when someone downloads the Femnoir app, what is her experience like? Because I know you spoke about introducing this idea of investing and doing so through the industry that most women of color are very comfortable with because we already spent a lot of money there. But how is the connection made between, okay, I'm buying my favorite hair product and in my case, let's say I'm getting a Shea Moisture smoothie as an example, and then how is that connection made from me making my purchase to me having better financial wealth? So what we wanted to do was reward users on our platform for taking initiative, financial initiative, and completing tasks that would move them towards either demonstrating that they've learned financial concepts or started implementing it. So even if it was just the fact that, you know, you set up an appointment to actually talk to someone within the network about financial objectives that you had, that would earn you rewards. Or the fact that you could connect to other financial institutions like a Robin Hood and use your rewards to buy a share in, let's say, Ford, which is going for less than 20 bucks and purchasing a stock in that. You know, you just showing the initiative that you're actually using these funds to actually start doing things that 
are going to financially reward you or at least help you in understanding more about the different financial security options that you have available to you. So in a sense, the rebates come back to me after I make a purchase and then I accumulate them and then I can invest them. Yeah, that's exactly the point. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. I'm totally down with it. It sounds like it will be a really easy way to invest. And I like the play on me already purchasing the things I purchase and spending a lot of money doing so at all of the places Like I'm thinking about how much money I spend at Max, Sephora, Ulta Beauty, my local drugstore, and several other places like Right Online. And if there was an opportunity to have done exactly what I was going to do and what I'm going to continue to do and get something back from that that I can invest. And in the end, I'm accumulating all this wealth. It would be almost like it's a brainless activity with no effort or thought to it. Exactly. What we wanted it to be was an opportunity for you to receive money to invest in yourself that you didn't expect you would have. Because the idea of taking out money from your checking account when you already feel like, oh, this isn't looking really nice for me, like taking that money out and putting it away to invest, that is probably the area where we falter because we don't see that we have enough in order to even make that that leap of faith and invest in ourselves. But if it's money that you weren't expecting to receive in the first place and it's a reward that these companies are telling you that they're willing to invest in you if you invest in yourself, that's that's the conversation piece we want to focus on, getting the companies to invest in providing you rewards that you invest in yourself. Yeah, and I was going to ask, which is kind of what you just explained, why not just come out with a program or an app that makes investing easier. So that way, if I decide I want to take like $10, if someone is not really sure how, you know, how to do it, why not just create something that would make investing in general, take the mystique out of it, take the fear out of it and make it easier for me to just put that money directly into it. So instead of spending $100 on two things at Ulta Beauty to get the rebate, why not just put the $100 itself right into an investment? I think the thing that we wanted to do is to make sure that the women were getting the actual concepts because I think that would be a great idea. But like I said before, what we wanted to do was partner up with a variety of financial institutions. So I may already have a stash account or I may already have a Robin Hood account, but I don't use it as frequently as I should, or I'm not making the investments as much as I should, or maybe I'm aware of these financial tools that make it easier and more affordable to get into investing. But I haven't necessarily felt comfortable enough to take the money out of my own account in order to make an investment. And so an opportunity for them to encounter money that they didn't expect to receive on purchases that they were going to make already based on like the focus groups that we were doing. It was a better way to get women comfortable about investing in themselves because it just wasn't money that they initially were going to miss. And to do it with financial institutions that were already out there seemed like the best way to educate them about what's happening rather than like kind of like starting from scratch and creating a new financial instrument, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And I can totally understand that. I've been in positions where I was a bit apprehensive about things and 
doing so through a roundabout way made me feel more comfortable because I didn't have to make the transaction directly. And I myself have diviled and dabbled into investments. I remember when I was in college, there was, oh, do I even remember the name of the company? I'm thinking of something orange, like the logo was like an orange ball. I don't remember. Was it Sheer Builder? I don't remember. But I do remember signing up for investments because they made it seem like it was so easy. Like if you have $20, just throw it in here or whatever. And I did that and I now get like all these like shareholder meeting emails and to be honest with you, I don't really know what to do. I just get these emails because I own shares and all these things, but I have no idea what to do with it or how to look at it. I don't really think about it anymore. And I'm at a place in my life where I'm like, I want to have investments. I want to do more with my money. So I think that this is something that I'm interested in. And I know that a lot of people are going to be interested in as well to help them gain financial wealth because I've been saying to myself, I've been saying to my husband, I'm like, we have to do more than just save money in a bank account. We have to do more than just use our money to go on vacations. And we need to actually start thinking about how to better save to have wealth for our children and our children's children, if that's something that we're able to do during this lifetime. Yeah. And I mean, I think the intimidation factor when you're talking about like, you know, there's these shareholder meetings, a lot of what's going down in these meetings are things that I feel like once you get comfortable with the fact that it's not information that you can't wrap your head around, it actually becomes enjoyable. Like I look forward to hearing what's going on with the companies on a quarterly basis. It really makes me feel like I'm actually not just like passively investing, but I have an active role in what's going on because I'm aware of what's happening in the business, who are the main players in the business and what the business goals are. I think what we're trying to do with this application is really focus on getting women really excited about having ownership with all these companies that they may end up investing in, empowering them to feel like they have a role in how the economy operates. So it doesn't feel like you're just a fly on the wall or just someone who's observing life as it happens. You actually have an active role and you can kind of start connecting the dots between policy, between, you know, what's happening in the world and what's happening in your investment accounts. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very true. So I would love for you to share what you feel is your biggest accomplishment thus far and what has been your biggest challenge in your career? I come from a marketing background. I've worked in marketing companies. And so to enter this tech-heavy space and come from it from a non-technical perspective and to talk to people who literally all they're familiar with is like the tech jargon that you need to use in order to build it out and have to tell them, oh, well, I'm the chief storytelling officer and I want to build something that specifically is going to answer a problem that I see happening in communities of color for women. In the VC space, it's not technically a big enough market for them to draw their attention or appeal, you know, because everybody's looking for a large exit. But my biggest success has been the fact that I've, despite 
all those obstacles. You know, I've had the opportunity to work with Shea Moisture when I went to the Women of Power Summit to approach him. Again, a person who, as a male, you would assume may not be aware of what's happening for women of color when it comes to this space, but he's fully aware. He did a great job at the Women of Power Summit of addressing a lot of the things that I think a lot of us encounter. I'm so elated about his venture fund. And so I think building the relationships and making sure that I connect with people who are fully aware of what the obstacles we face, not only from the perspective of, you know, just, you know, access to funding, but creating the actual tools, having the access to funding that actually create tools that affect change in our community, not just for the person who founded the company. That's something that I'm proud of. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everybody for tuning in today. It has been an amazing, amazing day, and this podcast was so much fun to record. I do hope that you found the podcast helpful today. I've asked you already to share your feedback with me. I hope you do. Don't forget, share this episode. You can do so by sharing it on Twitter. You can share it on Instagram. Take a picture of the podcast episode screenshot and then put that in your Insta stories. You can obviously share the episode directly on Facebook. And, you know, if there's anyone you think that this episode would be helpful to, you can share it with them directly. Send them an email, shoot them a text, whatever it may be. And I'm going to leave you with one of my favorite quotes. So that way you can have an amazing, amazing week. And I want you to tell yourself this all the time, every single time you're feeling like something is holding you back or like you're in living in fear of some kind. And that quote is inhale confidence and exhale doubt. I hope you have a great week. And as always, I love you for listening. Bye.